I that put a stake in the ground and said DEI is important to us as a company and an organization and to me personally. I went off and did like a bunch of my own work. My HQ team behind the scenes were doing their own work. And then we ended up inviting people into a space that was not safe for them. It wasn't prepared for them. And so by the time, unfortunately, we brought Coley in, like it was not a good, healthy space for people to be in. And she had a lot of like unraveling to do before she could actually do her work. Who's missing here? What points of view, what lived stories, what experiences aren't represented here? Up until a few years ago, these are questions I didn't think to ask. And the reason I didn't ask those questions, simply put, is because the spaces I was in, the spaces I had created, seemed so normal to me. The spaces I was in and the spaces I had created were full of middle-class white women, just like me. And if I'm being frank, the only question I would ask from time to time was, where are the men? which probably just further proves my point. I was used to seeing men around, so I questioned it when they weren't there. I wasn't used to seeing people who had different points of view, different lived stories, and different experiences than mine, so I didn't notice when they were missing. Who's missing here? It's a question that asks so much more of me as a leader than to simply even out the demographics. Who's missing here? Ask me to consider why people are missing in the first place. What is it about the way I've built my business, my community, my brand that doesn't create space for people who are different from me? You're listening to What Works, the show that transcends the hype about starting a small business by bringing you candid conversations about what's actually working to run and grow a business today. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. Now, over the last few years, like many white women I know, I've been on a personal growth journey to better understand systematic oppression and internalized bias and their role in my business. I'm personally invested in this journey. I'm politically invested in this journey. And yes, I see this journey as integral to my effectiveness as a leader and entrepreneur too. I do not have answers. I don't even have all the questions, but I'm learning and sharing that learning with you is important to me. While there are many white women entrepreneurs who are on this journey with me, few have been so public about her learning, her missteps, and the action she's taking in her business as Whole30's Melissa Urban. About a year ago, shortly after I finished my own life-changing Whole30, I noticed that Melissa announced she was searching for someone to lead diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts for her company. I kept my eye on those developments, and I always enjoyed seeing her update her audience on the hire and the progress they were making. So when we decided to do this month on leadership, I knew I wanted to talk with Melissa and the woman she hired to fill this role, Dr. Carrie Coley-Murchison, now Whole30's Director of People and Culture. I wanted to find out why and how Melissa has been leading so publicly on this front, and I also wanted to find out what Coley was doing to lead this change internally in the organization. This conversation has been several months in the making, even though we recorded it less than a week ago, and I am so excited to share it with you. But before I tell you what you'll hear in this conversation, I want to preface everything by saying that I understand that Whole30 is probably a much bigger organization than you are running. And it might be tempting to think that these issues are something you need to deal with when you grow your community to hundreds of thousands or even just a thousand people. 
but creating systems to evaluate internalized bias, building more inclusive communities, checking yourself on how you might be doing unintended harm. These are things that every single small business owner needs to consider right now. Who is missing here is a question you can and should ask from the very beginning, no matter your identity or background. It's not something you level up to. It's something you build into the foundation of your business. If you want to make an impact, if you want to truly do good with your company, if you want to lead, this is your responsibility. Together, regardless of our different backgrounds, different experiences, and different points of view, we can create communities that invite people to truly belong, no matter what their particular intersection of identities or experiences might be. Now, there are plenty of great ideas you can take from this conversation, regardless of the size of your business. And if you're unsure of where to start, I highly recommend checking out the work of Erica Corday, who we featured in episode 263, Alethea Fitzpatrick, who we featured in episode 242, and the opt-in podcast with Aurora and Kelly, which has been a great resource for me. All right, here's what Melissa Coley and I talked about in this conversation. We talked about how Melissa gradually woke up to the lack of diversity and inclusion in the Whole30 community, why she thought free equaled accessible and open to everyone, and the work she's had to do to not immediately get defensive when someone points out something potentially harmful. Coley shares how she pushed Melissa on whether Whole30 was just a wellness cult for white women, the challenges of doing DEI work with an internet business, and the specific projects they've launched to make the Whole30 a more inclusive community. Now, let's find out what works for Melissa Urban and Dr. Carrie Coley-Murchison. Melissa and Coley, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited about this conversation. Thank you. I'm excited too. Definitely excited. Glad we got this one together. Yes, me too. All right. So Melissa, I want to start with you. And specifically, I kind of want to start with the path that you've been on to get you to the place where diversity, equity, inclusion is not only a personal value for you, but a strategic priority for the whole 30 as well. So on your podcast, um, I think this was a while back now, you said the words that you use, the stories you tell, and the way you present your work matters, taking more care, doing more research, and simply paying attention to the way you share your creations can have a huge positive impact on your community. I'm curious to know if there was a particular moment of insight that kind of led you to that realization, or has this been more of a gradual process and kind of unfolding of really knowing how you want to show up and how you want to lead with the Whole30 community? It's definitely been a gradual process, very much community driven in that, you know, I look to my community all the time for, um, you know, to create resources, to develop materials, and also just to kind of listen to what they're saying and figure out how I can serve them better. There actually was a moment, though, and I remember it very clearly. I was in Norway on vacation in 2017 when the Charlottesville white supremacists marched. And I was off social media for many days because I was hiking in the mountains of Norway. And when I came back, I saw Nazis in America marching. And I had talked to several friends who were um, getting into and learning more about the um, kind of racism and the systemic ways that it influences us in social justice. And they all encouraged me in a very gentle kind of calling in way to start looking into it and perhaps using my voice since I had a platform. And I was very hesitant for, I think, the reasons that so many business owners and people in general are hesitant um, because my life would be a lot more convenient and my business would run a lot smoother if I just didn't have to think about this. And it never occurred to me in the moment that that, in fact, 
in and of itself was a privilege. But when I came to this social media kind of world, came back into the real world and realized this was happening, that was the first time I ever posted about it. And I just in that moment committed to learning more. That was it, just learning more. And it started with a Google search of why it's not okay to say, I don't see color. That was where I started a Google Mm -hmm. search, literally typing in like why it's not okay to say, I don't see color. And it led me to an article by Jarrett Hill, who's a wonderful esteemed journalist. And I tweeted about it and mentioned him. He offered to get on the phone with me. And he said, let me share kind of some information and some background. You run this large community. You tell me you're interested in learning. And he spent his time and his labor to educate me on that one specific topic. And that was really the catalyst for deciding I needed to learn more and I wanted to do better. I didn't understand what I was getting into. I certainly didn't understand. I didn't know anything about privilege at this point, but like I started there and realized that there was something here that my kind of gut told me I needed to look into. And really my community was telling me I needed to look into. Um, And then the community from then on really drove this process for me. Yeah. I love that you are talking about how community has helped drive this process, but I also know that you've gotten pushback at different times. What was the response like uh, to that first post that you made um, saying, hey, I need to do some research here. I need to look further into this. I need to just be more aware of how what I do and what our business is doing is impacting the lives of marginalized people. It's funny. I just went back and re-looked at that post to kind of see what I had written and the response. And it was it was vanilla enough that I didn't get a lot of pushback, meaning there wasn't a strong call to action. I wasn't um, using words that people, you know, especially white people find triggering. Mm-hmm. It was just me saying I'm upset at seeing this thing in the news. Um, and I and I'm going, you know, devoted to learning more. It wasn't until I started posting my learnings, and I'm always careful to phrase them in terms of there. These are just things I'm learning. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not telling you you should learn something. I'm not saying you're doing something wrong. This is what I'm learning as part of my own personal growth and the growth that is the right trajectory for my business and my community. It wasn't until I started using words like privilege that I started to get a lot of pushback. And it was just a lot of fragility. It was a lot of fear. It was a lot of just not understanding the concept, but not being willing to even look at it. Um, I made a a sort of half joke yesterday after posting a book I read um, that I never get more unfollows than when I post the word privilege. And it's true. It's what happens. But that doesn't even come close to outweighing the good I see it doing in the community and the fact that it's making members of my community who have previously felt unheard, unseen, underrepresented, feel seen and heard and represented. Like that's who I'm doing this for. So people aren't ready to hear the message and unfollow, like, so be it. I wish they'd stick around and learn with me, but I can't force that. But what I will say is that, you know, the connection that it's making with the community and how it feels in my gut for my own integrity, like, I don't even think about who's unfollowing me. Yeah. Can I also just add for Melissa that you're commenting on like the folks that you want represented in scene. And I think being the person that's like, watching who comments and how people comment and what they're saying about Whole30 all the time. What I really like, not like marvel at, but what I'm I'm glad about, what I hope we see more of is consistently how folks see Melissa's post or like hear her 
not call herself out, but like be transparent about some learning that she's had. And they're like, oh, I literally never thought about this thing like this. Or like, I had a question, Mm -hmm. I would have never asked it. And now like, I'm really thinking about what this means in my life or, you know, people posting all kinds of like triggered comments under the post. But the fact is there's some sort of facilitated learning that I think wouldn't be happening if, you know, at least someone with the platform that like people trust as much as Melissa's and have like the size of Melissa's, if she weren't saying that, then I'm not sure where some of those folks might be getting that learning from. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk about, let's talk more about the whole 30 community and what you started to notice about who was vocal there, who was showing up there, who was being centered there. Um, One of my personal commitments for this year is really taking a look at not just who's showing up, but of course, who is missing as well, who's missing from my podcast guests, who's missing from my own community, who's missing from my listeners, and really taking note of you know what the the contribution the the belonging the the space that those people could be taking up and what more that could add to to our community who did you notice was really missing from the whole 30 community and what have you discovered about why they were missing in the first place? Yeah, you know, the whole 30 has been around for 11 years. And I will admit that I didn't realize that people were missing for the first half of that trajectory, probably more. You know, when you're at the center, and like, unless mm-hmm. I were a man, I couldn't be anymore at the center, given all of my privileges on top of privileges, it's really hard to step outside of that and notice who isn't being represented. My goal for the Whole30 was always to make it accessible to anyone who wanted to do it. And for a very long time, I thought, well, the program is free. It's available for free online. You know, you don't have to buy a book. You don't have to pay for a coach. You know, you can access the program and all you have to do is buy your food. It wasn't until my community started again, calling me in and saying, how come every single person at your event is a white woman? How come I don't see anybody representing their culture or their heritage on Whole30 recipes? It's a bunch of, you know, it's like white stay-at-home moms who have the privilege and capacity to take over this recipes channel for an entire week. And like, why aren't we seeing other people? And it wasn't until I really started to think about those questions and look at my own community and then look at the way that Whole30 operated before I realized that like people weren't seeing themselves in our community. And Unless you see yourself in that community, it's really hard to imagine yourself being a part of it. You know, I look at communities in which I'm not represented, which are few and far between, but they occasionally occur. And I think, well, that's just not for me. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure what I would get from it. I'm not sure what I would learn from it. And so realizing that representation is about and accessibility is about so much more than just is the program free. In the beginning, I focused very much and my scope of sort of representation was quite narrow in that I was really thinking about people of color. And that's Mm -hmm. an important part of representation, of course. But over the last three years, I've really learned and our Whole30 mission statement is that it's not just about color. It is you know, sexual orientation and gender identity. It's about, you know, representing those who are disabled. It's representing those who come from a different socioeconomic background. Like representation means so much more than just how you appear. And so thinking about that is 
underwoven into like everything we do at Whole30. It's when we have website redesign, we're thinking about, okay, well, how can we make this more accessible for people who use screen readers? Or how can we caption all of our video now videos now for those who you know, are, are deaf. Um, how do we on whole 30 recipes expand the content of what we're sharing to allow people to share things like their cultural heritage or traditions, but they don't make, maybe they don't make recipes, but they can still share how they incorporate their culture into whole 30. We also started paying our whole 30 recipe contributors across the board, mm-hmm. realizing that unless, you know, if you didn't have the financial resources to be able to take all the time to contribute and maybe upgrade your camera or buy a few props. You weren't going to be able to contribute. And we wanted everyone who had that level of passion and talent to be able to. So we've done, I feel like so much in, in the way of increasing representation, because I want every single person who wants to do a whole 30, not just to be able to do it, but to feel seen and heard and included and like valued. And unless they see themselves in our community, that's going to be a hard, a hard sell. Yeah. Coley, I'd love to get your perspective on this piece of it, too. What was your um, sort of perception of Whole30 before you came on board the team? And what did you notice about who was missing when you did come on board? Uh, I'm laughing because I just thought about my initial um, cover letter to Whole30 when I was like, oh, I'm going to come on as a DEI consultant. I can't remember the specific language now, but it was basically something alluding to like, oh, I think at like the worst part of the spectrum or like the most judgmental part, like someone's like, hey, are we running like a cult for white women who are like really into (laughs) hell or something? I just remember Melissa replying back like, ouch, but yes. (laughs) And and I think um, I'm referencing that because you know, we talk very plainly as a team, right, about who we see as part of our community. And though uh, we have like a coaching community that is really like, we're trying to grow this to become all of the like to represent all of the diversities that we talk about, right? Like what Melissa is mentioning in terms of like, even like age and body size and like personal ability. And then we have so many folks who I'm sure have done a Whole30, but don't necessarily see themselves as like part of Whole30 community, right? So when I came in, it was like, okay, let's just do an assessment of where we're at. Like, let's just see who's talking about Whole30, how are we talking about ourselves, who's being featured on our feed, um, again, in the same way that you're thinking about like who's not there. Um, And at this point, I feel like there's been... um, a lot of work done, right, to already kind of like change the concept of of like who is Whole30 community or like who comprises Whole30 community because we're also trying not to think about like here is this space or the square, the circle that we invite people into, but here are all of these dynamic human beings that grow us and change us. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of work done to already kind of decide what that community is or how it's going to be. And I think we're at the stage right now, which is kind of like exciting, but also very difficult, right? Where we're like, hey, we really care about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we have all these hopes and dreams. And so folks are looking at us from the outside and they're like, okay, well, let's make that happen right now. And let's see how that happens right now. And we expect all of these results. And I think we just haven't really um, communicated how large that vision is now, right? Because we could have a really large vision, even if we just decided we only wanted it to be like white women who care about food and also like 
hike in the mountain. Like if we wanted every single person that also kind of like paired well or represented with Melissa, that could still be a giant feat, right? But because we're Mm -hmm. trying to think about literally how do we create a community where all kinds of difference can be like shared, can be celebrated, can be included. Um, It feels like such a, what we're hoping is like tangible, right? And also like a really large feat that I think we'll be working towards for a very long time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You'll hear how identifying and addressing her privilege was a key way Melissa started to recognize the bigger challenges in her community in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by the What Works Network and our upcoming virtual conference on building your brand. It's every business owner's dream to be known, to have a stellar reputation for the work you do, to be the go-to solution for your customers' problems. Making that happen is easier said than done. Not only are you facing a wall of competition between you and your customers, you're also combating everything else vying for their attention at any given time. So how do you break through and become known? That's exactly what this month's Build Your Brand virtual conference is all about inside the What Works Network. We're talking with four people who each provide a different angle on how to craft a story, share what makes your business different, and build your brand. Maybe you're thinking, well, that sounds great, but what's a virtual conference? We host four virtual conferences inside the What Works Network every year. They're day-long deep dives into a particular aspect of how your business works. Each session is a real-time conversation with an expert where you can ask questions, share your own experiences, and network with members. And the best part is, because they're virtual, you don't even have to leave the comfort of your home office. Pretty cool, huh? The Build Your Brand Virtual Conference, plus our upcoming conferences on money, sales, and coaching yourself as an entrepreneur are for What Works Network members only. To find out more about the What Works Network so you can join us for the Build Your Brand Virtual Conference on March 12th, go to explorewhatworks.com slash network. That's explorewhatworks.com slash network. What Works is also brought to you by Mighty Networks. The last decade was all about huge, open online platforms with loose relationships and even looser ethics. This decade is starting out with a step in the right direction. Today, more than ever, people are craving a way to create deep, meaningful connections online. They want to find communities that mean something to them, and they want to work with like-minded people to learn and grow. This is your opportunity. You can be the person to bring them together. Mighty Networks, makes it possible. Mighty Networks is everything you need to create a safe, private space for the people you care about. Whether you're building a movement, training a growing group, advocating for a cause you care about, or all of the above, Mighty Networks brings you the infrastructure to do it. It's your community hub, your online course platform, and a membership powerhouse all in one. We use Mighty Networks to create a dedicated private space for small business owners to trade notes on what's working and get support on what's not. Who will you bring together with a Mighty Network. To start your Mighty Network free of charge, go to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. Um, Melissa, the, the subject of kind of personal growth has we, we've kind of danced around it a little bit, but I know that's a big piece of what's actually happening here. Um, what kind of work have you had to do to get comfortable 
or to be more comfortable or accepting of being, you, you've said called in several mm-hmm. times. Um, but I think even when someone is calling you in, it can still feel like being called out. It can still feel like an attack. What, what do you, how are you approaching that? What kind of tools have you used to start to get more comfortable with that? I love that you assume that any part of it is ever comfortable. <laughs> How are you doing with that? Yeah, I knew that was a silly thing to say. Yeah, yeah that's okay. Um, you know, I I think I've had some life experiences that have at least prepared me for this journey. So, you know, I've done a ton of therapy. I have done so much therapy, so many different modalities. I went through a really difficult business split and divorce, and they were one and the same about five years ago. And through therapy and through some of my therapeutic modalities, I learned a few things. I learned how not to take things personally. I learned how when I receive feedback or criticism from someone, how to sit with it for a moment and ask myself, can I find it? Can I find this criticism in myself? And if so, How can I address it? I learned that if I couldn't find it, if that was just that person's experience of me, but in my integrity, there wasn't anything there for me to look at. It was just about that person that I was then able to say, thank you so much for sharing this experience with me, but this is not mine to carry and I'm going to send it back to you for your highest good. And all of the lessons that I learned going through my divorce and business split, I've been able to apply to this effort, to these DEI efforts. So when I'm called in, Instead of, and I have I have had to fall on my sword a number of times in the past because I didn't handle it this way, but instead of immediately getting defensive and lashing out and talking about all the good things I am doing and why aren't you seeing this and this is harder than you think and at least I'm doing something, I'm able to sit on it and process it and say, thank you for this feedback. And now I'm going to see if I can find it. And if I can find it, then I'm able to apologize. And I have, I know how to craft a good apology at this point, because I've had to several times, but I can apologize with all sincerity. I can talk about what I'm going to, what I've learned. I can talk about what I'm going to do differently. And then most important, I do it differently. Hard stop. Mm -hmm. Like the best apology is changed behavior. And Also, if someone is giving me that kind of feedback and I just can't find it, there have been times where um, I've received feedback like that. And in my integrity and after discussing it with Coley and asking for advice, like, hey, what am I not seeing here? What am I missing? I really can't find it. I'm also able with a lot of empathy and compassion to say, you know, your lived experience is your own. And I'm so sorry that this has been your experience. I'm not going to carry this, but like, I want you to know that I've heard you and I've processed it and I will keep this in mind in future interactions. Right. So all of this stuff that I've learned has prepared me for this and it's never comfortable. You know, hiring Coley was not comfortable. Mm-hmm. I hated the idea that I had to hire someone to be what I considered like a decent human being. I was so ashamed that I couldn't figure this out on my own. How can I not figure out how to not be racist? How to not be judgmental? How I how to accept my privilege and like figure out what that means for other people? But when I came to realize that like this is just it's a system that I was raised in, that I'm a part of, that I've been upholding subconsciously. And I didn't know how to identify the system. And I needed someone, an expert to help me identify the system. That was when it it kind of changed for me. But like none of this has been comfortable. And frankly, I think if it ever gets comfortable, it means that I've started to like rest on my laurels, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't want that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I want to circle back to privilege a little bit. Um, and I just I'm curious as to 
what role dismantling privilege has taken in sort of the figuring out the strategic side, figuring out the tactical side of how you're approaching DEI at Whole30. Um, and I'm just thinking back, we, we before I hit the record button, we mentioned the post you made uh, last week about Whole30 hot dogs, for instance, and like the amount of privilege that may or may not be wrapped up in that whole piece. Um, can you talk about how you have set about identifying where your own privilege comes from or, or not comes from, but how, where your own privilege is making itself known um, in how Whole30 has developed and how you're now starting to dismantle it. Yeah. The second Google search I did after why, you know, I can't say I don't see color is the Privilege Backpack by Peggy McIntosh, that essay, because people were talking about this idea of privilege and like, I didn't understand it. Okay. Like I grew up and I was, I wasn't poor. So I guess that's privilege. Like I didn't get that the very fact that I am white and tall and what conventional society considers pretty and fit or a and able-bodied and straight, mm -hmm. like all of that is massive amounts of privilege. And so I would say privilege is probably at the foundation of everything I'm thinking about in terms of my and our DEI work. I think about privilege all the time. I think about it when I'm out in public. I think about it, you know, I recently had to take some time off for my health and like what a privilege it is that I can do so. Um, in the hot dog post, I was talking about the fact that like, you know, it's a, it's a real privilege to be able to cook all of your own food at home from scratch. And, you know, not everyone has that privilege. So really thinking about all of the things in my life that make my life easier just because of who I am as a person has been incredibly helpful for my empathy and my compassion to identify ways in which our community is currently being underserved. Because if I assume that everyone is like me, then of course, I'm going to say stuff like, oh, hot dogs are junk food. You should be cooking all your own food at home. But no, I understand what a privilege it is to say that. Um, and so the more I think I think about my own privilege and the more I talk about it on social media and in my podcast, and I'm talking about it a lot just to raise awareness of the fact in other people that they may have privilege in areas that they didn't expect or understand, I think privilege is often the like gateway into thinking about DEI work and into thinking about inclusion and representation and racism. Like privilege is the one thing that I think people can unlock. And like, once it clicks, it's like, oh, okay, now, like now where do I go? Yeah. That's such a great point. Um, all right. I want to start to transition into the tactical strategic side of how you guys are implementing DEI initiatives at Whole30. So, Coley, I want to start with the challenges that you face with this community. And I'm sure that every community, every organization poses a set of unique challenges when it comes to nurturing and prioritizing diversity, equity, and inclusion. What have been some of the unique challenges that you've identified with the Whole30 community? Well, I think I um, recognized as our first kind of challenge moving into this, being that we're like, what I frequently call like an internet business, right? Like mm -hmm. we, we actually are a business that obviously like works in real life. Like we have real life business partners. We have like real life team members. And because so much of our community and so much of what we do exists online, that immediately puts us in the middle of like all of what is like 
internet activism and like these are the rules mm. that like all the other like internet superstars say that we use when we're talking about like racism or like prejudice or this is what this means for like or like other folks are telling us that we shouldn't consider talking about diversity we should only be thinking about social justice so we come into like literally hundreds of thousands of conversation right there's some ways in which other folks um for instance, if we were like a nonprofit that had like our own kind of single space, an office that we went into every day, it would be very easy to say, this is how we're going to handle our situation. This is how we're going to talk about diversity, equity and inclusion as a team. This is what it's going to mean um, for us moving forward. And then we'll just let all of our business partners know that. Well, that is kind of how we're thinking about that for ourselves. But all of our business partners also have like thousands of followers on their own, right? We also have multiple levels of business. So we have like our Whole Mamas brand. We have our coaches who are their own businesses, who are also extensions of Whole30, who have their own ideas. And I think for us, there was a lot of what I would think would be challenge in terms of just like, how do we even establish what is our culture? Like, how do we even establish a point of sameness or a point of like understanding when so many of us are literally like deciding, like, we don't want to use Facebook for communication. We want to use email. I don't want to answer email. I prefer Slack. There's all of this like digital stuff that comes into it. And I think when we first came in, what I was like, trying to acknowledge with us is that this is a really big idea that we want to talk about in terms of like what it means for us to define what diversity means for our community or for us to define what like equitable action looks like together, or like what it means to be included. And we had to create a space, which was like going back to all the things that most people would consider like soft skills. Right. So we couldn't come in and just be like, here are the people that we're going to include. And this is how we're going to bring them in. Honestly, one of the first things we did, which I don't think like most strategic planners for like growth and diversity would think about was really going back to how do we talk to one another, right? Like what are our, and so for the coaches, because that's where we started, because they also, um, which I think gets to another kind of issue for us, right? Like everyone feels super connected because we are an internet community. So everyone feels like, well, I know Melissa. And so I'm going to DM her about this issue or like, I know this person. So I'm just going to uh, DM this person and we're going to talk about it. And, and so everybody has a voice because we're all on the internet, but some of our voices really don't match. <laughs> some of us feel really more strongly about certain issues than others. And what we didn't talk about in the very beginning was like, here's what we feel about this issue or like you are wrong or this is right. It was like, okay, can we agree to a set standard of like engagement? Literally like, do we have rules of engagement? What is that going to mean for us? Can we all ab abide by them and really like lean into that? And then are we going to like build from there? So in the beginning, also a challenge around that is that, Folks really, especially when you're saying like we're working on diversity, equity, inclusion, folks who have previously felt harmed or folks who have decided that there's um, a specific issue that they want solved really rapidly. They don't really have the time <laughs> to be like, why, why are you talking about like how how we're discussing issues with each other or like how we're um, communicating in DMs or like what comments we're leaving? And I think 
for us, even like from HQ, because we're always trying to um, kind of start internally and then build out to the coaches and the other brands and then hoping that that spreads throughout our community. Um, I think for us, it's it's like the most important thing, right? Because when you hear Melissa say that she's had years of therapy, me too, <laughs> you know, like, and there's a lot of work that goes into being like, I am a person who can receive feedback. I am a person who can like really be hit with all kinds of microaggressions every day. And I don't hate every single white person that I meet, <laughs> you know, like these are like really large generalizations, but that's very difficult when you're trying to like build around issues that are as like triggering as race, right. Or issues that are as like triggering as like what it means for certain people of color to come into like full on communities that feel really like led <laughs> and moved by mostly white folks. And I think that there's ways in which all of that kind of like high scale internet, like cancel culture, these are the ways in which we kind of communicate or these are the the rules that we follow by. Um, we learned very early on that that doesn't really play well when you literally have to talk to someone every day or like when you really have to figure out how are we going to plan together around a shared value or like move toward a goal. Um, so yeah, I'm, this is a, a lot of discussion for you. That's like our size, our internet, our feeling like we all know each other, even though like we actually have a lot of things that are not in common as we're moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I think regardless of the size of community, that's, that is certainly something that most of our listeners yeah. have in common is that we, in one way or another, are running these very distributed mm -hmm. businesses that touch people from all sorts of different backgrounds, different value sets, different, you know, kind of enculturated forms of communication. And I I had not considered that as being like one of the challenges that you would cite, but oh my gosh, it makes so much sense. Um, I'm curious if, if it's possible for you to kind of take us into the room, whether it was a conference room or a Zoom room, like what were, what would be some of the things that we would hear in those conversations that you had around sort of setting that standard? Yeah. So with, I can start with co our coaches first because they are a part of our community that I think really actually pushed us towards having me be a part of, of Whole30. Melissa and I did, oh, <laughs> Melissa and I did a video together to kind of introduce me to the community. Mm. Um, and that was solely for coaches, but it was like, hey, once again, and, and in that video, there was a lot of um, Melissa wanting to be like, and I'm speaking for Melissa now, but Melissa can definitely tell me if that's what was happening. I think there was a lot of like, I want to take ownership for the community that I've built and also just acknowledge that there are like blind spots that I've had. There are mistakes that we've made, but like we're trying to figure this thing out together. And this is why we brought Coley on. And from there, it was a lot of honestly, like the first my two weeks on were like I was in the Facebook with the coaches every day. Well, that lasted for a while. I'm always with the coaches, but the first, it was like a really heavy listening. So mm -hmm. I don't know that anyone else would do this like this, but my, my first kind of uh, touch point with them was like, I really just want to understand what feels like harm here, right? I want to understand what's been at stake for you. And I literally asked every single coach to email me about what their points of harm were. And like, 
some of those moved into phone calls, but we wanted to create a space that was like, listen, I don't know who you talked to before. I don't know whether you felt heard or why you didn't feel heard, but I want to let you know that this is a place where you can talk now, right? Like, even Mm -hmm. if it's email, you can share this thing. And there were so many emails, right? But within those emails, it was like, literally some of them (laughs) crossed each other, right? Some of them were talking about instances where both folks had been involved and like the story sounded the same. And then others were like, oh, wow, this is really different. Like you are experiencing this thing very differently than someone else. And that was quite difficult for me in the beginning also, because there's a kind of like way that you come on board and you imagine yourself acting as like, not like going to war for all the folks of color, or all the folks that are different, right? But there are ways in which you still have to decide like, okay, here is your understanding of the situation. And here is this other person's understanding. And here are the rules of engagement that we've set. And here's the kind of time that it takes for folks to process what's happening for them or share and, and discuss and also, here is me representing this business, right? Um, mm-hmm. And also trying to kind of put some values and some ways of being in place for us as a business moving forward. And so there was a lot of um, work that had to be done on my part. That's also like, this feels not great today, right? It doesn't feel like you're representing everyone in the way that you want to. It doesn't feel like you're seen and what you're trying to accomplish for this person. And also that's okay because this kind of like minute work that we're doing in this listening session is really so that we can build into like, what is what are the cultural norms and standards that they want <laughs> that we can get to so that we can get to this like larger vision of like, Whole 30, the place where everybody belongs, right? Which is like, there's a lot that that comes between Whole 30, everyone belongs, and we're having arguments about like Facebook comments and things like that. Yeah. Well, okay. So, what has the time frame been? How long have you been with Whole 30? I, I remember the search for a director of DEI, but I don't remember when it happened. Yeah. <laughs> we were um, actually trying to figure this out. I think I came on board in July. And I came on board as a consultant in July. Um, We went through like our discovery phase. We've started putting um, real like, this is how we engage with folks into action. We've had our offsites that are both um, strategy sessions and like learning sessions for our HQ team, because it's super important Mm -hmm. for us to be like, are we prepared to even have this conversation, right? Like we're saying this is what we want to do at large, but do we, are we each able to own what that means in terms of um, our department, in terms of our projects? Um, We've spent the last, I guess, six to eight months really figuring out like actually what does DEI mean for all of us across the board as a team? Um, And also now, what does that mean for our partners or our coaches or our audiences? Um, And so between, I think in November is when I actually shifted over to director of people and culture. And I (laughs) partly, Mm -hmm. um, and this is also, I'm like, I'm speaking for Melissa now, but I think what we recognize is that there's one way in which you can kind of look at like, oh, we need a DEI consultant. And in some ways we made that director role because we wanted folks to know how important it was for us. But then we also recognized how all of our diversity, equity, inclusion efforts 
we're literally touching like every part of the business. And it's not just, are we being diverse or do we have people? We're trying to figure out how are we building? So for us, it's been very important to create a role that says, no, we're talking about the people and the culture that are included in our company and not just, are we getting like brown or black or differently abled bodies into the room? Yeah. So Melissa, uh, Coley's just sort of outlined this this long-ish process of, of listening and kind of pr- making preparing the way for some of the more tactical things, the, the projects that we're going to talk about in just a minute. But I'm curious how this process or whether this process has surprised you at all along the way? Are there things that have come to pass, parts of the process that you didn't expect when you first set out to make this a a bigger part of the Whole30 community? Um, There are a couple things I think that were surprising, although almost all of it has been a pleasant surprise in that I don't know I don't know how we could accomplish what we want to accomplish without Coley. And I don't mean a DEI consultant or a director of people and culture. I mean, Coley specifically. So, mm-hmm. you know, for her to come onto the team has just been a godsend for all of us. She's also been too polite to say that she came into what was like a total poop show. <laughs> I don't know if I can swear I like, on this. Show. I don't know if we were talking about that. Well, yeah. we can because what, you know, I, I, put a stake in the ground and said DEI is important to us as a company and an organization and to me personally. I went off and did all of like a bunch of my own work. My HQ team behind the scenes were doing their own work. And then we ended up inviting people into a space that was not safe for them. It wasn't prepared for them. They didn't know what was being asked of them, white coaches or coaches of color. And and so by the time, unfortunately, we brought Coley in, like it was not a good, healthy space for people to be in. And she had a lot of like unraveling to do before she could actually do her work. I think I was surprised at how open Coley has been and how much she has encouraged us to say, and you've heard her say it a number of times in this podcast, and also, it's not a but, it's an and also. We did an exercise at one of our last offsites where we were talking about what's at stake for us personally as an organization by department if we pursue these DEI initiatives as strongly and as firmly as we want to pursue them. So one of our initiatives is to diversify our HQ team. What's at stake if we do pursue this? Well, Mm -hmm. if we do, we'll have a more diverse perspective and backgrounds. We'll be a stronger team because we'll have much more talent and experience from, you know, different perspectives and different levels of experience. It will demonstrate to the community that we are, you know, committed to looking outside of our normal channels for talent and also it's going to be a lot harder to find that candidate that we want. And also we're going to have to like spend a lot more time without this person waiting to find the right person. And also what if the right candidate doesn't happen to be diverse, then that's going to be a challenge. So it's been super interesting. I kind of expected someone to come in and really force us to focus on all of the benefits. And there are so many to our business and our community and personally that focusing on these DEI initiatives will bring. But the fact that she also encouraged us to look at the very realistic and also's, what are some of the challenges that we're going to face? What are some of the negative repercussions that we might yeah. face by focusing on this? I think it's it's helped us to be more realistic about it. It's helped us to be more grounded and set our expectations. But it's also allowed us to say, Despite the and also's, this is still something we're 100% committed to. And so those exercises have been so incredibly valuable and very unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I was just thinking about the that that and also that difficulty is 
is or even being able to kind of look at that difficulty. So anybody in my life would probably tell you that that's just a Taurus thing. We want to know we're like, what is the hardest possible outcome so that we can think about it and plan away from that thing. Right. But but I think I I came into this as as I think the rest of our HQ team also is, I think we're like very high achieving people and used to being like, here's the thing. We're going to dream it up. We're going to get it done. And I had this like foolproof plan for Melissa of like six to eight months. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how it's going to be done. Here's when we're releasing all the things. And we've still moved on that timeline, but there's also so much that's been like, okay, here's why this is slowed down. Okay. Here's why we had to rethink this thing. Okay. I don't even think we know what this means or what it looks like. So we part of what we've done has been like, okay, I want to make plans for the coaches, but I want them to tell us what their community needs, what their various communities need. Right. So it's been a part of like, well, we actually have to have like a listening committee for them. Okay. They're ready to move very rapidly, but like we also have to figure out if this fits in line with all the things that we're planning from HQ and like our higher kind of priorities. So I think for me as a person, that's just very used to being like, here's our strategy and here's how we're going to find it. um, Or here's how we're going to kind of execute on that strategy. It hasn't been surprising in a negative way. It's just been like, wow, when we are actually (laughs) like really invested in the work, that work is, messier than we imagine it's going to be sometimes and it's not on everybody else's timeline and everybody else wants to hold us accountable for it so thank you and (laughs) and we also have to have our own kind of internal compass for like are we doing this thing that we've said we're doing are we in line with which I love is like Melissa's language of like are we in our integrity and that's been such a thing that's been so like really beautiful to watch our team build around. Um, I think anybody that follows me on social knows that I'm constantly like, I love Whole30. (laughs) It has changed my life. And not just because of like the program, um, not just because I love my teammates, but I also think that there are other people who do the kind of work that I do that do not have the same experience that I have at Whole30, right? So they don't have First of all, they don't have top down kind of like this is what we're doing and we really care about DEI. So there's no like CEO who's like, yes, this is the thing. And it doesn't matter if like we lose someone. It doesn't matter if like we don't get the thing. Here is our priority. That's just not really happening. And it's not happening at places that are saying that they're doing DEI work. Right. Mm -hmm. So the fact that that's kind of like built in and the fact that I've really had free reign to be like, what are we doing and what could we be doing? And are there people who are doing this work that like we really need to engage with? And the teams are like, yes, <laughs> we want to think about this. Yes, we can figure out ways to do this. Yes, we can kind of build our internal like processes around how we're managing or deciding if this is working. That's been an amazing thing that I just don't think everybody's getting. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I keep teasing that we're going to get to the specific things you guys are doing. No, and I love, I love where the conversation has gone. So let's get there right now. Coley, can you talk about um, a couple of the projects uh, that have resulted from the work that you've been doing over the last six months or so? Yeah, so I would say that we're at the beginning of seeing some of those projects come out. But a lot of what we've gotten to do in the background is decide like, okay, 
do we have like actual surveys that can talk to these folks? And I say surveys, I feel like at this point, our team is like so done with me and my surveys. But part of what we do is a lot of listening and a lot of like educating of ourselves, right? So there's like built-in surveys around us and what we know and what we think we know (laughs) and what we have like similar ideas around or what we think we have similar ideas around that we actually don't. Then there's been ways of us building like, listening into our community or getting feedback from our community. In terms of the coaches, I've mentioned that we established um, our community culture committee. And so that's kind of an ongoing um, committee that has helped us decide that in this next year, what we're thinking about doing, which you all will get more information about, obviously, if you follow Whole30, um, is this larger kind of uh, multi-city educational event that touches on not just like educating folks about what the coaches do and like gaining um, more access to new people in our coaching community, but also making sure that our coaching community has access to even more folks um, that they may not have been able to be in touch with before. Um, so there's there's that kind of like our, our building in systems around like our listening within the coaches and how they're going to like roll out whatever it is that they want and how we're going to be more supportive of them in the future. Um, we're also in the very beginnings of developing um, what I feel are some really promising content partnerships. And this is mm. like not, <laughs> I'm not the director of our digital, so, but I get to work very closely as Shanna gets to think through some of these things and a large part of, um, well, obviously I've called us an internet company, but so much of what we do at Whole30 is content, right? And so much of that content, as Melissa's already said, has really been kind of centered around like a very specific kind of community. And so a large part of what we're doing now is saying, yes, we can create more content that doesn't look like this, but we can also let you all know that there are so many wonderful creatives who are already doing this work and we can highlight the work that they're doing and we can collaborate with them so that their platforms can grow and develop and get their own revenue and really support them in ways that we haven't been able to previously because they just weren't a part of our ecosystem. And then there's like these internal and external curriculums that we have. I feel like I'm just going to bore you with the list of. No, I'm loving it. So there's like content and Melissa, you can, if I forget anything or there are other things you're thinking about, definitely hop in. Um, But there's this internal and I say external curriculum because there are partners and our community members that we have to um, also kind of like educate along with ourselves or educate as we, as we grow. Right. Mm So we do have both an executive offsite and our full team offsite. And at each of those, we have a set curriculum around like, here's what we like read or reviewed before we came in. Here is what we're actually going to build in as like a learning process in this time. And we set aside a lot of time around that. Um, and here is what we're creating for our coaches who also have like quarterly mandatory DAI calls that is in line with what we're doing at HQ. So that process, I think, mirrors more of how HQ actually functions. And I think that's really a function of Melissa, right? Because she's always like learning and sharing. And that's a big part of our culture that we think is important because none of us really has like the idea on how DEI should be done, right? Like we've got all our strategies, we've got all the ideas. And what we're trying to do is constantly say like, 
well, someone else has <laughs> said this other thing or someone else has this other way of knowing or this other way of being. And it's really important that we value that, that we listen to it, that we celebrate it um, and see like how it can or cannot change us. That's fantastic. I have loved how this conversation has gone sort of from the here's the the uh, moment that sets everything into motion to all of the growth and listening that you've done to these very specific projects that you are rolling out. I think that's going to be so helpful for people. Um, just because I know we're up at the end of time, I always ask our What Works guests, what's one thing they're excited about right now? And so I'd love to hear from both of you. What what are you excited about right now? Melissa? I am, I think, the most excited about the conversations that I'm having with the community. You know, it mm. feels really good when community members slide into my DMs and say, like, I really love seeing people sharing their different cultural recipes on recipes, or I really loved that post. Or when a discussion, like when someone pushes back and it turns into a productive discussion where I share a resource yeah. and they actually read it, those are the things I think that I'm most excited about. I know we have a lot going on at the big picture level and the business yeah. level and the partner level, but feeling and seeing that connection within the community over this work, I think is, is really what's making me the most excited and happy. Incredible. Coley? I think I'm actually excited about like the minute, tiny details that we're about to get into, <laughs> um, which makes sense <laughs> as yeah. people. Um, but I think we've done a lot of like behind the scenes planning and we do a lot of these like very general conversations with folks. But as you know, um, we've talked about this is the week where we get to roll out like what our actual plan looks like. And then that means that we get to go into like measurement and assessment and asking ourselves all the questions of like, is this working and why? Um, and, you know, just figuring out what the community is telling us about what we're doing. So I'm, I'm very excited about this moment of getting to see the kind of thing that we've been really birthing for a while, I think. That's awesome. Melissa and Coley, thank you so much for everything that you've shared today. I'm just, I'm so excited about sharing this with our listeners and, um, and just even finding out more about what you guys are going to be rolling out throughout this week. So thank you. Thank you, Tara. Thank you so much. Now, there's one part of this conversation that I want to bring us back to before we wrap up. At one point, Melissa said, I put a stake in the ground and we invited people into a space that wasn't prepared for them. I'm bringing us back to this before we go, because this is something I was also challenged on late last year. I had a couple of members of my community call me in to say, hey, we know you mean well, we know you want to make the space more diverse and inclusive, but you can't just invite people in. You have to make the space ready for them first. This was a huge eye-opener for me. And so if, like me, you're a member of the dominant culture who is listening and truly wanting to do better and to make people feel like they belong in your community, take note that there is more to this than making sure you invite some people of color to speak at your event or to say your community is open to people from all different backgrounds. The real work is a continual process of identifying bias, questioning what's normal, and creating a space that is truly welcome to different points of view not just different colors, sexualities, abilities, or gender identities. Now, you can find out more about Melissa Urban and the Whole30 at Whole30.com. Find out more about Dr. Carrie Coley-Murchison and the perspective she's bringing to the people and culture at Whole30 at CarrieColey.com. That's Carrie, K-H-O-L-I.com. 
Now that's a wrap on this series on leadership and turning your personal values into actions, systems, and operating procedures. If you love this conversation and you're looking for more, check out episodes 263 to 265 with Erica Corday, Shannon Siriano-Greenwood, and Rob Walling. Plus, you can find over 260 other candid conversations with small business owners at explorewhatworks.com. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt, and our production assistant is Kristen Runvik. Next month, we're tackling brand building and looking at how brands evolve, challenge the status quo, and expand into unexpected territory. Be sure to subscribe for free in your favorite podcast player. You can find What Works on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts.